Welcome to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. These are recorded during our weekly services in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our prayer is that these messages help you grow in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so today I forgot to look at the page number. Here we go. Daniel chapter 6. Let's see. Anybody wants to shout it out, I'll get there in a minute. Um, Here we go. Daniel chapter 6. All right, 672. There we go, 672. Is that right? And the softcover Bible, 672. Um, that's the one I'll be using. So today, if you don't know, um, is uh, our last day of the Daniel series. Next week we'll kick off a new message um, series with Easter. But So today's the last one. We've been talking through Daniel and going through battles in Babylon. Um, and the theme of Daniel has been consistent throughout all these different stories. And the theme of Daniel is essentially this, that in spite of present appearances, God's in control. That's the theme of Daniel, that despite what things look like, God's got it. That's, this, that's the message. That's why Daniel's writing this book. And in the, in the context here, Israel um, was one happy kingdom. This was a long time ago. It was one happy kingdom and then split into two kingdoms because they were no longer a happy kingdom. You know, that's just what happens, right? People can't get along. And they disagree on things, and so a kingdom splits. Uh, and then one goes this way, and one goes that way. Um, and so now what you've got is you've got the kingdom of Israel, and then the kingdom of Judah, which are these two northern and southern, like North Korea, South Korea, right? At one time it was Korea, now it's separate, right? North Dakota, South Dakota, right? Was it ever just Dakota? I don't think so. I don't know. No? North Carolina, South Carolina? No? I don't know. Whatever. Um, North Jersey, South Jersey, that will never be the same. Never. Different people, different breeds. Um, so anyway, splits into two kingdoms. Daniel grew up in Judah. All right, so this is, uh, and he grew up under uh, Josiah, who was a good king, honored God, all this kind of, it was a great life, and Daniel was, a, everything was good. And then Josiah dies, and the next king comes, who's just miserable and awful and a bonehead. And so what ends up happening is that Babylon, mighty Babylon, comes and overthrows uh, the ruling nation at that time, and now Judah is captive of mighty Babylon. And instead of killing everybody, what the Babylonians would do is they would take the best, the brightest, the smartest, the strongest, the best looking. Um, like I said, Daniel and I have had so much in common. Um, and uh, they would assimilate those brightest and best looking into their cultural system to serve in, in, their, in the palace, serve in, their, in the king's court. And so that's Daniel. Daniel's one of those guys, and he comes, and he's now a captive in this in, Babel, in Babylon, and he rises. Man, he's he's the cream of the crop. He's smarter than everybody else. He's better looking than everybody else. He's got more favor, and he continues to be promoted. He stays humble, and he and he keeps rising. Um, he interprets dreams that nobody can interpret. We've kind of followed these stories, and he's promoted a series of challenges. And Daniel keeps stepping up. That the Persians eventually attack. We did this a few weeks ago, attack Babylon, the Persian Empire. This is your history lesson. Persian Empire attacks Babylon and overthrows them. And this guy named Darius kills the king of Babylon, who was Belshazzar at that time. And so now we're about to pick up the story. Um, Daniel's still around. This is crazy if you think about it. He has outlived many kings in Babylon. This is a captive Jewish kid who about 16 comes to Babylon, and kings come and go, kings come and go. And, and Daniel just continues to stay in the castle. 
he is in the palace and he's just he's now about 85 when the story takes place today. He's about 85 and he's just there. So now Persian Empire is ruling and Darius is 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 the king. And so we're going to pick it up at Daniel chapter six, verse one. We're going to read the story. It'll be on the screen as well so you can follow along. Let me read this. It says Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom now into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high rule officer to rule over each province. So he's going to divide it up, you know, divide and conquer. Decentralize the government, you know, just give some power out. And in verse 2 it says, The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Because, of course he did. Because Daniel is smartest, best, brightest, all this kind of stuff. He's just been an untouchable rule. I'm telling you, everything he does turns to gold. He's, he's incredible. So now, it says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. I mean, you can see this just throughout Daniel's life. Everything he does, he's just really capable, competent, and skillful. All right. And then at verse 4, it says this, The other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was always faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. You know anybody like that? They're rare, let me tell you. They are rare people. Like, Daniel had haters, essentially, right? Like, he's doing his job, he's doing it well, and people are just jealous. Okay, and they can't take it. So they conclude in verse 5, Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Daniel is so faithful, that's the only thing he's not going to violate. right? So maybe we'll try and get him there. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, so they're including Daniel in this, which was a lie. Okay. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, we all agree that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. Right, so the game is afoot, right? You see this now. Like they're, they're, okay, if, this is how we're going to trap Daniel. Right, we're going to get him and make a, we're going to pass a law that was not previously there to try and trap him in this. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Darius, ignorantly, signs the law. So King Darius signed the law. Okay. He's going to regret it. Verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, here it comes. You ready for this? He went home and knelt down two words as usual. As usual. As usual. In his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He's not hiding a thing. You know, how many of you grew up in, in, in faith? You Christians growing up? Okay. Remember praying in school? You know, <laughs> Right, like I would try and pretend, like I, I went to public school and I had, I had to pray for my meal, but I didn't want anybody to see it, so I'd be like rubbing my eyes and praying, like as I was rubbing my eyes, right? Like I'd pretend to like, thank you, Jesus, for this food, amen. Right, like I would just try and cover it, right? Like I was getting it done, I was checking the box, but nobody knew, right? I know I'm alone in this. None of you have done stuff like that, but for me, right, like I was, I was not opening my window, 
right? It says he opens his window, just like he always does. He wasn't trying to make a show of it. This is just what he had done every day. He opens his window towards Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he has always done, giving thanks to God. Daniel had been doing this for decades and decades. He's 80, over 80 years old. He'd outlived many kings. He had been praying every day, three times a day, window open towards Jerusalem. I've been here, kings come and go, kings come and go, kings come and go, but I've been here praying every day, not going to stop now. This is my usual. Verse 11, then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Because Daniel knew what was going on. So he's praying, the tone of his prayers is, God, you see it again. Here we are again, people trying to get me. Do what you do, God. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, the decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, again, Not the administrator, not the high ruler that he is, not the executive officer of the organization, but one of the captives from Judah. You can hear them trying to discriminate against him. One of the captives from Judah is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Now, if you remember back in the story with... um, Fiery Furnace and the three friends of Daniel, when they refused to bow down, when the king heard about it, says his face distorted in rage. He was like, how dare they not honor my law? Very different scenario this time. It says this. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. Totally different. right? The irony here is that the law cannot even be repealed by the king himself. They're supposed to be honoring the king as a deity. I'm God in this situation, but I can't change the law. Isn't that ironic? You can only pray to you, but you can't even make a law different. A law that has as its purpose the intention to set up the king as the ultimate authority actually imprisons him to its own authority. Darius, the most powerful human being in the world at that time, has no power to save Daniel. And he wants to. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. So in the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law signed by the king. They're trying to like hold his feet to fire. Come on! We worked it out. Follow through. Get rid of this guy. We're jealous of him. And the king's hands are tied. I know you're praying to me, right? You're praying to me, but I can't change the law. Okay. Verse 16. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you so faithfully serve, rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. So essentially it was kind of like a, like a hole kind of down on the ground, like trap lines in there, and they'd throw you in, and then they'd put a hole over it, um, so that, uh, a rock over it so that you couldn't, you couldn't get out. It says, the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seal of his nobles so no one could rescue Daniel. So that, it, not that somebody wouldn't, the seal wouldn't stop anybody, but if the seal was broken, they would know that somebody had tried to help and move the, move the rock. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. I mean, how interesting. This is the king of, of Persia now. 
trying to find a way to rescue Daniel, and he can't even sleep about it. You know when you ever have those nights where you got something the next day, and you're like, oh, I can't sleep all night, right? You just, you're just up all night thinking about it, and thinking about it, and thinking about it, and you, you don't want to watch your, your, your Netflix. You don't even want to watch shows. You're just like, I can't, I don't even want to eat. I just, ah, oh, I can't even sleep. You're just in agony all night. It's a long night. That's what happened for Darius. It says, very early the next morning, as soon as it was like, okay, I think it's morning. Yeah, it's morning now. I'm going to go. He got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, I love this, servant of the living God. This was Daniel's legacy. This is what Daniel was known as. Daniel, servant of the living God. Wouldn't it be awesome if that's how people knew you? Right? Your name, servant of the living God. That's what you're known as. And he says this, was your God, whom you served so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? He's just calling into a pit. He doesn't know if there's anything left. Am I just yelling at lions? Hey, lions, hey, Daniel, you down there? Waiting, waiting, waiting. And Daniel answered. Let me just stop right there. Daniel answered. He answered. Right? You don't need to know the rest. He answered. The fact that he answered is a big deal. Means he's not right in the belly of a lion who's like, hmm, right? Must be Judean, right? Like he says, "This long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I've been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, Your Majesty." The king was overjoyed. And ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. I love this. Ready? Not a scratch was found on him. For he had trusted in his God. Not a scratch. Not a scratch. They go in the flames. They don't even smell like smoke. He goes in the den of lions. Not even a scratch on him. Then the king. This is where where it gets real. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And it says the lions leapt on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. If anybody has any, maybe maybe the lions weren't hungry and that's why they didn't eat Daniel. Yeah, just a few minutes later, these were not the same lions. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. Here it comes. This is Persian Empire. This is not somebody who knows God. This is not a Jewish person who grew up you know, understanding Jehovah and all this kind of stuff. This is, I decree, he says, that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of lions. Wow. And he reads this in verse 28. It says, So Daniel prospered, because of course he did, during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Each week, we've been focusing on a different battle. series is Battles in Babylon. The first week was a battle for your identity. That you are who God says you are. The second week was the battle for the impossible, but you need to pray like your life depends on it, because it does. 
In week three, we said it was the battle for your worship, that God's the God who walks through fire with you. Week four was a battle for humility. You remember this, we're all turtles on fence posts. If you don't know what that means, you can go listen to it. But essentially, if you see a turtle on a fence post, odds are he had help getting there. Week five, the battle for reality. That the authority of God is inescapable. And that's, both a, that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And this week, the battle is very simply for our usual. This is the battle. I, I, I want to not over, be overly dramatic, but I, the greatest battle, the biggest battle, is the little one. The greatest battles, the little ones. Daniel's legacy was that he was the servant of the living God. Stephen Covey, anybody read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Ever read the book? Yeah, a few of you. If you haven't, do yourself a favor. It's a phenomenal book. You should go read it. And in there, one of his principles, one of the habits is this. Begin with the end in mind. And he has an exercise where he says, pretend you're at your own funeral. What do you want people to say about you? Like, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Begin with the end in mind. What will be your epitaph? Daniel, servant of the living God. That's, that's, that's it, Dan, Daniel, servant of the living God. What's going to be yours? What will people talk about? And are you living your life in a way that will give them reason to talk like that? Like what we want them to say, will they say that? Like that's this, that's, that's this principle. Daniel was known as a servant because he was always giving God credit. He was a servant because he was always serving God. He interpreted dreams for kings, and he'd say, that was God. He would excel in wisdom, and he'd say, that was God. He was ten times more capable than any other leader, and he'd say, that was God. His friends walked through fire, and they said, that was God. He outlived king after king after king, and he'd say, that was God. Now he survives a lion's den, and again, that's God. He's a servant of the living God. And throughout Daniel's life, he had lots of defining moments. You know, those moments. Like, you think of Daniel, you think of the, the lion's den. That's what you think of. That's the story of, of, of all biblical stories. I mean, this is one of those, you know, that most kids remember from growing up, if they grew up in, in, in the tradition of faith. You remember Daniel and the lion's den. That's the story. That's the defining moment, right? This, are, is he going to pray? Is he not going to pray? The assumption is that Daniel was great under pressure. He must have, yeah, he was clutch. He must have been a great test taker. You know, in the moment, man, he could close the deal. He could perform under pressure. But I think the truth is this, that his defining moments were the product of his daily decisions. Every day for decades, Daniel prayed three times a day. Every day for decades. When he's taken as a captive, he prayed. When he was trained in foreign arts and languages, you know what he did? He prayed. When the kings threatened to kill all the wise men if dreams were interpreted, he prayed. When idols were set up and worship demanded, he prayed. When new kings rose to power who didn't care what Daniel had done, he prayed. When Babylon fell and Persia rose up and here comes another empire, guess what? Just keep doing what I do, man. I'm going to pray today. I'm going to pray in the morning, noon, night. Morning, noon, night. Morning, noon, night. It's what he did. It was his usual. So naturally, when jealous peers manipulate the law to try and trap him, he did what he had always done. He prayed. See, here's the truth about Daniel. He didn't decide that day, to act in a way that guaranteed the lion's den. Daniel didn't make his decision in the moment. He decided 
way, 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 way back. Back when he ate salad. He said, even if nobody knows, I'm going to do what's right. See, Daniel worshipped God all the time, and this day was not going to be any different. He didn't decide to walk in the lion's den that day. That's the truth. It wasn't that day. That decision was made every day for 80 years. And this day wasn't going to be any different. He just kept doing what he always did. His defining moments were the product of his daily decisions. And Daniel isn't the only one whose life was shaped by daily decisions. We talked about today being Palm Sunday. Today, remember, Christ's entry into Jerusalem, as Nikki said, and he walked in. He walked into the city with such fanfare, but Jesus knew. He knew that these people who were cheering for him right now, uh, in just a few days, they'd be, they'd be rioting for his crucifixion. He was walking into his own den of lions. Daniel was framed. So was Jesus. Both were arrested while in prayer at a private location, doing what they usually did. Pilate wanted Jesus to be released. Darius wanted Daniel free. Both leaders had their hands bound and had to turn them over for execution. Both Daniel and Jesus walked steadfastly toward death. Daniel walked out without a scratch. Jesus' body was broken beyond recognition. Yet the greatest miracle of all is that Jesus walked out of the tomb transformed. Let me tell you, the message never changes. Despite present appearances, God is in control. God is in control. The fire couldn't burn Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. A den of lions couldn't scratch Daniel. And let me tell you, the grave couldn't hold Jesus. There's no difference. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing. God is always in control. So what? So what? The question for us today is this. What are you facing? Are you facing fire? Are you facing lions? Death? Facing a health diagnosis? Are you facing a financial crisis? Relational problems? Family issues? Work stuff? School stuff? Are there people being bullies? Do you feel the pressure to live out your faith in a society that doesn't honor it? Let me ask you. Whatever you are facing today, God is still in control of all the battles Daniel faced. Of all the battles Daniel faced, the most important one was this one. It was not the battle for food. It was not the battle for fire. It was not the lions. It was the battle for his usual. For his usual. For the daily routine. For his habits. And it will be no different for us. The hardest thing is in those moments. Because it's so easy in the day-to-day to minimize. It's just a small battle. It's just a small thing to move on. Of all the battles we face, none seem so small and none are as important as the battle for your usual. Your defining moment will be the product of your daily decisions. Who we 
we will be when everyone is watching is who we are when no one is. So let me ask you today, what's your usual? What would your enemies find you doing if they observed you every day? What's your usual? What's your usual? And the power of habit. Anybody ever read this book, Power of Habit, Charles Durig? If you haven't read the book, it's a great, great book. Charles Duhigg, he says this, more than 40% of what we do every single day is habit. And when we go into a habit routine, brain function is equivalent to sleep. It's almost zero. When you put on your shoes, do you realize you always put the same foot in first? You always start with left or right, whatever it is. You always, it's, a, it's a habit. When you brush your teeth, you always start in the same side of your mouth. There are habits. You don't even think about it. For those who have been driving for any length of time, when you get in, you don't even think about putting the key in, turning the ignition, checking your mirrors. It's, your brain is almost flatlining. It's just a habit. It's routine. 40% of what you do every day is simply habit. You don't think about breathing. You don't think about eating. When you eat, you don't think about cutting. You don't think about which hand you hold the cup in. You just do it. It's habit. truth is that 40% of our life is on autopilot. Don't even think about it. So the question again is, what's your usual? Have you thought about it? We should probably be thinking about those things that we do without thinking. Because they have tremendous influence in those defining moments. Health habits. How do you eat? We know it. We, I mean, we, we, it doesn't seem spiritual, but what you eat, it's a habit. You can't cram health. Like, I'm going to eat Twinkies for three weeks. But like two days before the doctor, I'm going to start eating salad. You can't cram health. It's habits, routines. I remember my dad telling stories about he was a big runner and they had to run miles over the summer to make the track team. They had to run like 20 miles a day to make the cross-country team. It was crazy. They were state champs. It was, it was high expectations. And the school would give them shoes every year. I may have told the story before. The school would give everybody shoes. Beginning of the summer, they had to run 1,000 miles over the summer to make the, to make the team. There was a buddy of his who took the shoes. Didn't feel like running his, his miles. Took a sander to him. Grounded him down. Threw him in mud, rode over him with a car, beat him up real bad. Like, just showed up at practice first day. Coach says, everybody who ran a thousand miles over here, everybody who didn't on this side. Guy's thinking he's got to make his shoes look like he did his steps over on this line. Coach says, all right, you guys over here who didn't run your miles, get in my van. Driving to the, they were in Long Island, driving to the beach, we'll meet you at the dunes. You guys, run there. It was a 10-mile run, warm-up, just to get to the beach, to start practice on the beach. Dunes and stuff. Halfway through practice, he was losing his everything. You can't fake some things. Habits. Your usual, people know. You can't hide it. And in those defining moments, 
what will come back to strengthen you as your usual. Your daily decisions produce defining moments. In his book, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell says it takes roughly 10,000 hours of practice in any field to, be, to master it. In the early 90s, a team of psychologists in Berlin, Germany, studied violin students. Specifically, they studied practice habits in childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. And all the subjects were asked this question. Over the course of your entire career, ever since you first picked up the violin, how many hours have you practiced? And all the violinists that had begun playing at roughly five years of age with similar practice times. However, at age eight, practice times began to diverge. By age 20, the elite performers averaged more than 10,000 hours of practice each, while the less able performers had only 4,000 hours. The elite had more than doubled the hours of the less capable performers. Our defining moments are the product of our daily decisions. We think our lives will be defined how we react in those defining moments. And it's true to a degree. It's going to be that moment that finds you. That is going to be your legacy, how you react in those moments. But those moments, those decisions are not made in the moment. The best baseball players just so happen to spend a lot of time practicing. The best musicians doesn't just happen. They invest time with their instrument. The best scholars spend time reading studying. The best cooks know food. They have spent time with food. The best woodworkers have gotten thousands of splinters. The best mechanics reek of oil and grease and gasoline. Actors don't just know the lines. They work hard to become the part. Our lives are the product of incremental investments. And what is true in the physical world is only more so in the spiritual world. Your relationship with God is built in the everyday, ordinary routines. God must be integrated in our everyday lives. So the question for us today is, what are you doing daily to establish and deepen your roots of faith? What are you doing to develop on a daily basis? You don't have to pray three times a day like Daniel, but what are you doing to daily develop a relationship with God? Faith isn't something we turn off and on. Like, I don't have God at work, but I have God at home. I don't have God at home. I have Him when I go out here. It's not in my community. I have God here, but not when I'm in social settings. Not when I'm in work settings. Let me tell you. Everything. Everything is affected by this. Daniel, what put Daniel in position was that he allowed his faith to integrate into everything. His work, they couldn't find fault. He worked in such a way, they were looking, looking for reasons and they couldn't find it. How many of you wouldn't be, nobody would have to look too hard to find some fault with the way I work. I try, but you know, come on. They could find no fault. Because Daniel did the little things well. What gave Daniel the strength to face lions is the same thing that will give you strength to face whatever may come. When the enemy draws a line in the sand, Daniel said, I will do the same thing I have done every day. I'm going to get on my knees and declare that despite what I see, my God is in control. What are you doing that will give you that same strength?
that whatever may come, I'm going to keep doing my usual because my God is in control. Not going to stop. I'm going to encourage you this morning. A life of faith is going to lead you into a lion's den. Count on it. Count on it. There's no problem. There's no promises of easy living. Jesus says you do what's right. Expect trouble. Expect people to have problems with you. Expect people to try and bring you down. James says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James continues, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. If we will make daily decisions, we will find ourselves like Daniel, prepared to live a life of uncommon courage. Fight for the little things. They become everything. Here's the best news. Fire couldn't burn them. Lions couldn't scratch them. The cross couldn't kill them. Your failures aren't final. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Your weakness can't stop God's greatness. Your brokenness can't limit His healing. Your inability to see how can't stop God's however. Despite what you see, God is in control. Through it all. He is God alone. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.